Well, this is Launch Sunday, and this is the first Sunday of a new year, a new season, and uh, I want to talk about the farmer. And Eric thought that there should be a good farmer joke start off the service, but I don't have any good farmer jokes, so let's just go right to it. The Bible says that there is an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth. And he goes into a long list of things. There's a right time to plant and another to reap. This is an opportune time for you as an individual follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and for us as a church. Despite all the conflict and the confusion and chaos that fight for headline space every day, And despite all the challenges that we have faced and that are in front of us right now and the worries and the concerns that are on the horizon and coming our way, I'm excited. I'm excited about the year that's in front of us. I live with this confident understanding that I have been and you have been brought to the kingdom for this season in history. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident that you're here. We come with a message. We come with a mission. I live with the confident understanding that that I have been given a promise given a promise about this generation, about this season, about this this period of time in our lives. God said that in this time, he would pour out of the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit on everybody. And, And that our sons and our daughters, no matter where they are walking right now, and not not even concerned really about what they believe today, at, at some point he would gather them up and he would, they would become part of pre- declaring his truth and the truth about God. They would prophesy. And, and, and he goes on and he says, this time, this special season that's coming our way, that, that young would have visions of what God was going to do and the old would see the fulfillment of the dreams that they have long desired for God to fulfill. And that it doesn't matter if you're male or female, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. You would be a participant in God's created shakeup of lives in our homes, in our families, in our community, and in our church. And that during this time, God would operate in signs and in mighty miracles. And that everyone who would call out on the one and only name that can bring salvation, the name of Jesus, whoever did that would be saved. It's It's an incredible time. And you've been chosen to be here for that season. So so at this starting point of our year, let me pull out a few questions, some pointed questions, and and just ask you questions that I've wrestled with and, and that I'd like you to seriously consider. What... What expectation do you bring to church this morning for the next 12 months? Who is developing, molding, shaping those expectations? What is it that you think that God has for us as a church in the year that is ahead? What is your role? What do you bring to the table? 
what do you think it will cost us both personally and corporately? Are you, and as a result, are we as a church ready to do whatever it takes to accomplish the will of God for this coming year in the place that he has set us? Those are questions that that I've been wrestling through, and it doesn't seem right that I would be uncomfortable if you're not uncomfortable. It's sort of like flying with Air Canada. They're not happy until you're not happy. And, and so I want you to be wrestling with these things. I, I firmly believe that this is an important and significant time of change and growth in our lives and, and in, our, in our house. In, in fact, I believe that this may be the most important time that we've ever had together yet. Because... God wants to affect deep, lasting change in us individually and corporately. He wants to get us ready for something that he's been prompting and prodding, getting us ready for since the very beginning. I've looked at ways to make this understandable, at illustrations that could help. And I've chosen a story, a parable that Jesus has told. It's an agricultural story about a farmer and the work that he does on his farm. And I want to read this story to you this morning, and then I want to talk about only the farmer today. And then next week, I want to read the story again, and we want to talk about the farm. And I hope that it will help us understand who we are in this season and what we're needing to do by way of preparation. I have a great deal of respect and appreciation for people who know why they are alive right now. For, for people who have a mission, have an understanding of, of who they are and what it is that they're here to do. You know, as Christians, we talk all the time about God having a place and a purpose for our life. But, but it's amazing to discover how many people say they believe that, but either don't know or don't understand their place, have very little understanding about their purpose. The story that Jesus uses centers around a farmer. If you were to run into him on the street and ask him what he does for for a living, his answer would be clear and concise. I'm a local grain farmer. His answer alone tells you a lot about him. Tells you that he has a lot of money tied up in land and in granary bins. Maybe a little bit of machinery. Tells you that he has a plan, that he understands the purpose of seasons and how those seasons affect his work and what he does and when he does it. Spring is when you have to plant seed. Summer is when you sit and you wait, you watch and you pray. In the autumn, you you harvest. And winter is the time where you get ready to do it all over again when spring comes. Everything about his work carries risk. But the farmer is a courageous enough individual to try it each and every succeeding year. He gets up out of bed before the sun rises and doesn't see his pillow again until long after the sun is set. He knows who he is. He knows what he does. He knows what success looks like. He understands the cost and consequences of failure. 
He's ready to take on the challenges of each day and he works hard so that at the end of the season he can stand with the granaries full and bursting and say, this was a good year. Jesus uses many agricultural illustrations to make his message and his mission clear. He, He uses them because his audience is familiar with living, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it means to live off the land. He uses them because he can draw parallels from real life experience to the truths, to the realities that are found in our spiritual life. And so Jesus starts this story with the word, listen, listen. It's a signal that what he is about to say is an important thing. And and if you want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to enter into the purposes that God has for you, then, then this would be a good time to dial back the distractions. Give your full, undivided attention to what he is about to say. And so this week, as we read the story, focus on the farmer. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. Listen, says Jesus. A farmer went out to plant some seed. He scattered it across his field, and some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. There was other seed that fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon withered under the hot sun since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so that they produced no grain. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil and and they sprouted and they grew and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. That's the story. Farmers know who they are. Farmers know what they do. Farmers know how to do it. At the first sign of spring, the farmer is ready to go out in the field. He he, he has to get out with his seed. He waits for the right condition and then he heads out to the field immediately. If he waits too long, his crop won't mature in time and his investment will be lost. He's focused. He's watching. He's waiting. He's ready. He's focused. The the farmer wants the best seed that's available. He's given much thought into all that he can do to increase his yields. He, He needs to have a return of at least tenfold what he has sown to make sure that he has enough harvest, enough enough grain to A, store for the winter food supply for he and his family, B, to sell on the open market to provide cash for the rest of his, his needs for other necessities of life, and to have enough C seed to sow again next year. He's intentional. The the, the Bible says the diligent farmer is the one who will find success. He just gets up, he does what needs to be done, and he does it till it's done. But the farmer is also hopeful. He might read during the winter season that the farmer's almanac says that this is going to be a summer that is marked by drought, 
or that the market is already flooded with his product and so the price is going to be low or, or that there's a mold or a blight that has been threatening crops in his area. However, his investment has already been made. His land is there. His seed is in hand. And he's hopeful. His investment has been made and his future is tied to an outcome that is four or five months down the road. And he's hopeful that everything will somehow eventually work out together for the best between sowing and harvest. He can't allow fear to play with his mind, with his emotions. He can't allow fear to keep him in bed because he's just too afraid to get up and do what he needs to do. He has to be motivated by hope, by expectation that it's going to be a successful year, that God is going to be his help. He's a different breed. He knows who he is. He understands what it is he does and how to do it. He's a farmer. He gets it. And Jesus tells the story of the farmer to make a point about a spiritual truth. Just a few moments ago, I asked a series of of questions, and and they touched on your expectations, on on your plans, on your purpose, your focus for these next 12 months. In this season, in this year that's in front of us, are you focused? Do you have an intentionality about the days, the weeks, the months that are ahead? Are you hope-filled that God will help you make this a year that counts? It usually starts for me around the time we finish up with Easter. I start asking, I start looking, God, where, where do we as a church go next? I I read scripture and I I make notes, I pray, I I look at need and I listen to conversations and I observe patterns that God brings in front of me. And it causes me to ask some some very serious questions and, and to dive into scripture and to have meaningful conversations with trusted people and and to ask God the big and the the difficult questions that come up. In all of that. And out of all of that comes a plan, comes a map as to where we're to go in the year that is ahead. And that's the process that I've been going through since Easter this year. Coming out of the last couple of years, it seems to me that we're, we're looking for a renewed sense of identity. Who are we? What, what is it that we've learned? What is it where we've grown? Where, where do we fit? What, what's really important? What's my connection with God, with, with mission, with, with faith? I have a very strong conviction that this season in front of us is to be a season of personal growth for all of us. That, that this is the time that we're to deal with problems that we've been ignoring and, and have the talks that we've been postponing for a more convenient time, and and to adopt the disciplines that we believe in but we've not yet grabbed hold of and made our own. In early July, Pastor Eric and I started a series of talks where we just sat and we talked about what we felt God was saying and, 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 and about all the things, and we started to make a list of the things that we believe are important for church this year, things that we need 
to grab hold of. I went home that night and I opened my Bible and I started reading and I came across this verse and it seemed to capture my, my, my attention because it encapsulated all that Eric and I had been discussing. It, it, it's Jesus who's talking and it's in Matthew chapter 5 and, and he's covered some of the values he wants his followers to own personally. He, he doesn't want us to be people that hate other people or who are owned by irrational or runaway anger. He, he doesn't want us to speak with harsh or unwarranted criticism to one another. doesn't want us to be people who don't honor and work on relationships, or live, out, or live without moral integrity or discipline. He, he wants us to stop making empty promises to one another, and to stop having meaningless conversations that don't, take us anywhere, don't mean anything. He, he's talking like that, and, and he, wants, he wants us to treat our enemies with love and kindness, to win them over with kindness. And, and he says all of that because he wants us to live on a higher plane than what we have been living on. He wants us to reflect on the values of his kingdom. Hear these words. You'll hear them a lot this, this fall and going into the new year over and over again. They're, they're the words of Jesus and they come out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. And, and it's our intentional focus for the year ahead. Jesus speaking. In a word, what I'm saying is this. Grow up. Your kingdom, you are kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Live generously. Live graciously towards others. Live the way God lives towards you. I read that and I, I just thought, this, this is for us. This is for now. And, and when Jesus says grow up, he's not being condescending. He's not being sarcastic. He's uttering an invitation to live better. Live a more meaningful life. To live like his followers. Not like street urchins who have no father who cares for them or gives to them or have no future or destiny. He says, I want you to understand this. You are kingdom subjects. Boy, we've been thinking about that a lot this week, haven't we? As we say goodbye to a queen and try to learn although I'm not allowed to sing it, God save the king. We, we, we've thought a lot about subjects. You are, to, you are kingdom subjects. You belong to a king, and the way that you live, the thought process that is yours, the values that you live by should reflect both your king and his goodness and who you are. Live out of your God-created identity. We have to learn to let go of what we think and see when we see ourselves and to adopt and understand we are who he says we are. Our God-created identity. Live generously, live graciously towards others. Live towards others as you have seen God live towards you. Live with focus. Live with intentionality. Live with hope that God is about to do something in you, do something through you that will make a difference. 
That's what discipleship is all about. That's what Jesus said to the church, to, to you, to me, to us corporately. Go and make disciples. Learning to live, learning to think, to see, to act in the same manner that Jesus operates. We've made a list of seven kingdom values that we want to secure in our lives and in our church. Seven areas that we want to work on, that we want to concentrate on during this next year. We make this list understanding that if we concentrate on this, we will discover something of who we are in God. We will discover more about our purpose, our mission, in this very important time in history. We will, like the farmer, know who we are, know where we fit, know what it is that God wants us to do. So let me go through this list of objectives that are in front of us. The number one is connect with people. Connect with people. The, 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 the language, the presentation, the, and, and the message of the Bible is that God is a relational God. He, he designed us all knowing that it, would be good, it wouldn't be good for us to be on our own. We're, we're designed to, to live, to interact, to, to relate and work in team. God knew that we needed accountability, needed support, needed encouragement, that we needed examples and patterns to follow. Just go through the New Testament and underline the many places there that, that we're told to do something with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Confess your faults to one another that you might be healed. Serve one another. There are three kinds of connections that are illustrated in the New Testament. There is the connection that we have with more experienced, mature people who we give permission and allow them to speak into our lives. Some who, someone who's traveled the road that we're on right now, but was there before you and has learned a, two, a thing or two, and, and, and we will allow them to speak, and they'll help us avoid disaster and failure. Someone who, who challenges you to live the best life you can live rather than living carelessly. I, I'm, I'm thankful for the amazing people in our church that stand with incredible stories. Ha having gone through storms, having, having survived battles, having experienced the, the pain that comes in, in life, but, but show up week after week and declare God is faithful. I, I love that our churches... I, I, I invite you to, to seek out some of those people. Ha have you had coffee with Elmer and Sylvia Delport and heard some of the things that... God has brought them through as pastors, as missionaries, as parents, as believers. Have you gone and said, Olivia, can we go for coffee? I, I need you to teach me how to pray. Or have you found a man like Pastor Dan and asked him, what, what is it that keeps you so solid in your faith? People of experience, people of maturity that add wisdom and value to your life. I want you to connect with those people. 
We sometimes rush in and rush out, and, and we don't make room for the people that God has brought across our path. There's the relationship that we can have with peers. People who are experiencing the same season of life that you are right now. And can at the very least encourage you that you're going to make it through the storm that you are in. It doesn't matter what you're going through. There's someone in this house who can identify with where you're at. I have single parents, cancer survivors, grieving widows and widowers, former addicts, business people, students, people who have been abused in every imaginable way, parents of prodigals, um, business people, union members, long time married, recently divorced, people who have never been married. We have it all here. And, and there's someone who can understand where you're at and can, cur- can encourage you to keep on going. I'm, I'm there too. Let's encourage you. Let's help each other. I want you to make those kind of connections. And finally, we, we have a mandate To take what we've been given and to invest it not only in ourselves and in others, but in the next generation. If I could turn the clock back, I love what I do and I love where I get to do it, but if I could turn the clock back and know what I know today, I think that I would want to be either a children's pastor or a youth pastor for my entire ministry. Spend my whole life making sure that the next generation has a meaningful encounter with God that will keep them satisfied throughout their lives and give them a firm foundation so that they have an impact for the cause and mission of Christ no matter where God plants them. I I would love to go back and spend my life doing that. Connection with people is at the heart of the gospel. It's an understanding that I don't have all the answers that I need for life and that God has given me family, has given me friends and partners who hold some of the answers and have keys to my success and that I hold keys to their success that will unlock doors for them as well. You want to intentionally make connections. I think of this service as very important. The, our worship time, our praying for one another, the, 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 the message from the Word, I think that's all important. But the picnic in the parking lot after the service that I hope you can stay for is equally important. It's, it's there that you'll connect with, you'll, you'll, you'll know, get to know people who, who can and will make a difference in your life if you create the space for that to happen. Number two, I'm asking that you would commit to read the Bible every day. We want you to be committed to reading the Bible. Not as a religious exercise, but because it's one of the important ways that God speaks to us. Paul says to Timothy, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together, shaped up for the task God has for us. I'm not asking you to read through the Bible in a year or even a a chapter a day. I'm wanting you to open it up and to read with purpose. 
This week that I've just come through has been kind of busy. I lost a day. I, I don't know where it went. I think it was a holiday Monday or something, but it was chaotic. It was busy, and my reading was varied. One day, I, I only read one paragraph, and I was overwhelmed by that paragraph, and I sat, and I wrote a whole lot of things that came to me about that one paragraph. But then another day, I found this very interesting thread that took me through four or five chapters in, in one sitting. And then there was the day that it didn't seem like I got anything out of my reading. I read it, I closed my Bible, I prayed and I got up and I thought, what did I just read? It, it didn't seem to have any meaning to me, but, but then I remembered something that I heard years ago that I don't remember what I ate 10 days ago for lunch. But whatever it was, it sustained me. It made me strong enough to carry on until I ate again. And the word of God is that way. Friday, I had an amazing day of being in the Bible. And I read and I thought and I chatted with God all day about what I had learned, what I had seen, what I had experienced. I'm asking that you would commit to read the Bible every day. If you don't read it all right now, you, you haven't had a practice of, of reading the Bible, then just set up aside a small amount of time, five, ten minutes to read. If, if you're a consistent studier of the Word and you're, you're regular in your reading, push, push the boundary a little bit more. Mark, mark up your Bible. Highlight where God speaks to you. Date verses that come alive. If you don't have a Bible, see me after the service. I'd be happy to get you a copy so that you can get started. Number three, I'm asking that you would serve. Serve in two places. I'd like you to serve in this house. If you love children, why don't you consider working with Club J? Or with our youth? Do you love technical things? We have media and sound or, or worship or ushering or visitation and connecting with people. The, the, the list is long and we have lots of room and lots of places and spaces for you. But, but there's a place where you can serve and there's a place where you can discover something about who you are, something about the gifts that God has given you and where you fit into this whole mission. But I'd like you to also think and consider serving outside the house. I'd like you to find one person to serve who, who doesn't go to church. It might be a neighbor. It might be a co-worker. It might be volunteering in an area of interest to you. We, we have people who work in crisis support places or in big sisters, big brothers. But find a place, find a person to serve, preferably someone who can't pay you back. It's an amazing place of, of discovering identity and being grown to see that the world is bigger than what you personally perceive it to be. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give a life, a ransom for others. Service to others is a huge kingdom value. We, we were having lunch with a lady in, that's here this morning during the summer, and and she saw some neighbors walking in front of her house and they were holding hands and she just went out and said, that, that's really nice. You know? and, and, and she's just been kind and serving and connected to them and 
So they went away this summer and said, hey, our berries in the garden are going to be ready. Why don't you go and help yourself? There's benefits to connecting to people. And one of them is discovering who you are. Number four, develop this hunger to learn more about who you are, where you fit, what, what's going on in God's program in your life. There, there, there are so many incredible opportunities to learn. There's great books. There, there are great podcasts. There are incredible conferences and conversations. This year, we're going to have, again, two seasons, one in the fall and one in the winter, of connect groups. Some are based on connecting with people. Some are instructional. Some are built to increase your skills. And, and, and we're challenging everyone to select at least one connect group in the year ahead to be a part of it. If we don't intentionally pursue and hunger to grow and develop in our faith and in our ability, we end up stagnant. We end up less less effective than God had designed us to be. Number five, pray. I, I love to pray. Now, I need to confess something to you. That hasn't always been the case. I, I didn't really know how to pray. I didn't develop a, a satisfying prayer life, and so mostly I avoided prayer. But, but, but I started hanging out with praying people. And, and I grew in that discipline. And then I started having prayers answered, and I was addicted. I love to pray because I believe that he hears and he answers prayer. And I'm addicted. I want you to be developing daily in prayer. I want you to pray for yourself. I, I want you to to go and have those good arguments with God over the questions that haunt you and the disappointments that have followed you and the, the answers that elude you. I want you to pray for your family and pray for your co-workers and for your neighborhood and, and to pray for your church. We meet at least two times every week. Uh, we meet on Sunday morning between 9.30 and 9.50 in the morning. And almost every Tuesday we meet at between 7 and 8 p.m. And I want everyone to join us at least one time a month in one of those two prayer times. Now, I won't be sitting there taking attendance or showing up at your door and saying, now listen, I see that you've missed September, October, November. I, I won't be doing that. I'm just challenging you to get addicted to prayer. It, it's what changes the circumstance. You're here. You're here because somebody has prayed for you. Might have been a mom. It might have been a grandfather. But someone has prayed you to where you are right now. And it's up to you to pray others in. This Tuesday from just after midnight until the evening meal, we're praying and we're fasting. And then we'll come together to pray for an hour together. And we'll send out a prayer focus to everyone tomorrow for our day of prayer and fasting. But it's another way for you to join in and to develop your spiritual strength and focus through a vital and important part of faith. Prayer. I want you to pray. I want our church to be known as a praying, powerful church. Number six, I want you to invite someone, bring a friend with you to church. 
We want you to plan on inviting and bringing a friend to, to church. We'll create special Sundays. We'll create special moments. If our connection with God is as valuable as we say it is, and if we love the people in our world as much as we claim we do, then we need to be, have them exposed to the God of all hope that made a difference in us. Early this year, I, I attended a funeral for a man that I had only met once maybe twice. And, and the reason I attended the funeral is because much of his family is a part of our church here. I arrived early and I stood in the waiting area to, waiting to be seated. And, and as I stood there, there was, oh, I know that person. And somebody, oh, hi, Pastor Bill. And, 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 they were come, and it amazed me how many people I knew, how many people I recognized, how many people knew or recognized me. I hadn't really thought that other than the family, I would know anybody, but, but I, I probably knew somewhere between 30 and 40% of those who attended. So I started tracing the connections. They all led back to one person. About 15 years, maybe 16 years ago, Brisa Ochoa showed up at this church and made it her home. She was a single parent. She was a delight to have as a part of our family. But then she brought her cousin Carla, and then a brother named Carlos, and then Rudy, and another brother named Dolman, and then her mom came, and then her aunt came, and then her cousin came. And, and then out of that, the children of these adults. And then I started meeting friends at special occasions and events, soccer games and quinceaneras. And, and the influence and the witness of the church has grown as it, and has increased. And people have accepted Jesus and people have seen answers to prayer because Brisa invited family and friends to church. Some of them have, incredible, have had incredible encounters with Jesus. Some haven't yet. But they've been exposed. The seed has been sown. The farmer knew what he was doing, knew how to do it. And they will yet in, discover the full impact of, of, of that connection. We have no idea. We will not know until we stand before Jesus the full impact of Brisa coming to this house and saying, listen, I'm going to invite that. Oh, this person needs to be part of my church family. I want you to ask Jesus to show you who your person is. Who is it that he wants you to serve, to invite, to bring to church? We're in this following Jesus thing because we believe that he's able to do miracles. You must know someone who needs a miracle. You must know someone who needs to meet Jesus, who is looking for a family, for a place to belong. You must know someone. And finally... I want you to commit to being a giver. That's a touchy subject. The, the, the final discipline that I want you to be a part of this is, is to be a committed giver. I don't ask you to do that because we're in some dark hole that we can only dig out of if, if you give more money. That, that's not what... We're, we're in a pretty good place. We're in a pretty good place. We, we have ha been able to help different places out and, and, and been very generous, and God has been very generous back to us. We're, we're in good shape. I, I don't ask you to become a giver because 
I get a percentage of the offering. That's not true. I don't. You would be surprised how many people say, like, this is quite a gig for you. Like, do you get a percentage of what comes in in the offering? No, I don't. So I have no interest. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know what you give. It, that's between you and God. But, but I want you to learn to be a giver because there's a spiritual reality that makes an incredible difference when you understand it. There's this principle that's called the law of the harvest. It comes out of the story that we're telling this, these two weeks. It's, it's you plant a seed and you trust God and God provides a harvest that is way beyond what we sowed. He's not interested in making you boasting billionaires. Look what I have. Look at the jags I have in my car. No, he's, he's not interested in that. But, but he is interested in supplying all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He also wants to make sure that you have enough extra in your pocket that when you're confronted with need, you have enough resource to look after that need and prove in a very specific and powerful way that God is both good and generous as our Heavenly Father. He wants you to understand that. In one of the reports that came to my desk this week, I was told that our utility bill is going up. As a church, we're on a, on a utility budget and we pay the same amount in January when we're pumping heat through the building to keep you warm as we do in July when we're pumping air conditioning through to keep you cool. The report said that our utility budget payment had been moved upwards starting this month. We, we have been paying $419 a month, but starting this month, we're going to pay $562 a month. Now, if my math is correct, and that's highly suspect, but if my math is correct, it's about a 30% increase. And, and if that is what's happening at the church, then I know that a few of you have opened your mail at home and discovered that there are some giant jumps in bills, increased interest rates, more costly food and energy bills. And, and there are two kinds of reaction to that news. There will be those who open it up, fall over, and panic. How are we going to manage what are we going to do? We don't have enough. But then there are those who are committed givers. The ones that know that God's no man's debtor. That when he says, prove me now in the tithe and the offering, he, he be consistent and sow into the kingdom and see if I won't look after you by opening the windows of heaven and pouring out a blessing that you can't contain or hold. Tithing doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at it on paper. But it does work. I, I can say like David of old, I have never seen the, the giver forsaken or their seed begging for bread. Somehow, some way, it works. I, I want you to find that reality in your own life. And so I'm asking you to commit to being a regular giver. If, if we can't trust God with our finance, then do we really trust him at all? Do we really trust him at all? I, I can tell you, there are so many stories in this house alone of how on paper it shouldn't have worked out, but God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Those are the seven values of the kingdom that we're going to focus on this year. There's, they're not deep 
earth-shaking things. They're, they're not history-making things. They're not nation-taking things. But if we haven't proved him in the little things, then we can't trust him in the big areas of our life. I, I want you to, to grow strong and to, to develop into the person that God dreamed and designed you to be. I, I, I want you to discover God in brand new ways. I, I want you to have amazing God encounters this year. I want you to see the people that you love and are concerned for have God encounters. The best way I know to make that happen is to be faithful and consistent in the things that God has given us to do. To be faithful in the small things so that he can make us abound and govern in the bigger things. I want you to be focused and intentional and filled with hope, like the farmer that Jesus talks about in the story. I want you to know who you are. I want you to be confident in why you're here. I want you to be bold in the work that you've been given to do, and the way to start discovering that is by adopting values and habits that Jesus says are part of the kingdom. I want you to write down this, this reference because we're going to go to it. I want you to go home and find it in the version that you like it, best in, and I want it posted somewhere where you, every day you'll see it. Every, for me, that's the fridge. Put it on the fridge. I'll see it every day, three or four times, okay? Um, put it somewhere where you can see it. It's, it's Matthew 4, verse 48. I want you to read and reread the entire chapter, but focus on, on this chapter, or chapter 5, verse 48. In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously. Live graciously toward others. The way God lives toward you. It's, it's our year in a, in a little thing where we grow up. Does that, does that help? Does that make sense to you? It's 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 good. But we can't go beyond the elementary stuff. Will you stand? I'm hoping that you'll come and have a hamburger with us. You weren't planning on it, but if you can't, I know some of you forgot and you made other arrangements. Can I just say it's good to see you, Brother Morales. Nice to have you here. Good friends, Amperos. Lovely to see you. Um, but we're here for a purpose. We're here by the planting of God. We're here with hope and expectation. And so I want to pray over you this morning. Father, we dedicate these next 12 months to you. We want to have powerful God encounters. We want you to speak to us in, in ways that we'll never forget. We want you to meet us at our point of need. We want you to empower us so that we're who you designed us to be, who you dreamt for us to be. We want our children and our young people to have God encounters so that they would know from the very earliest moments of their lives that they belong to God and that that's enough. That's more than enough. We want to be a people of prayer, a people that change the the, the atmosphere of our community because we believe and people know that we believe and people count on us to believe. We want to be generous in everything that we do. We want to live graciously. We want, we want to be your hand extended. We want to be the representation of who you are in this city, in this, in this neighborhood, in our, in our place of work, in our families. 
I'm praying, God, today that you will be close to each and every individual in this house, that they'll hear your voice, that they'll feel the breath, the warmth of your breath on their neck, that they'll, they'll feel the everlasting, ever-loving arms wrapped around them. God, I know that there are some folks that are standing here today that are going through what seems to be hellish experiences. And I'm asking that you would be the God of all comfort and that they would understand that they're not alone and that they're not powerless and that they're not victims, but they're children of the King who's about to do something, about to open doors, about to sweep through and encourage and strengthen and bring life to where there hasn't been life for quite some time. I'm asking that you'd heal up the brokenhearted. Asking that you would give hope to those that are discouraged, peace to those who are anxious, life to those who feel like there is no life. I'm asking God that you will make this a powerful year for us as a church and that you would cause us to wrestle through all that, that we've not wanted to look at, not wanted to answer. We've just kept busy so that we don't have to do it, but God... Help us settle those issues today and this week and this month, we pray. Bless this church. Bless this people. Be their God. Let them understand that they are your people, we pray. In the mighty, powerful name of Jesus, amen and amen, amen. It's going to be a good year. I'm glad you're part of it.